1: Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show. On the mark, we're going to start out with a guest. Uh, I can't remember who any of these guests are, so I'm just going to start calling them Senator, because the first one is, well, I know who it is. It's John Gordner, State Senator, uh, 27th District, although I foolishly listed it as uh, 17th in one of my notes, but 27th District, State Senator out of Berwick. He's the State Senate Majority Whip at 9.15. This morning, we'll have U.S. Senator Pat Toomey on. So you Well, you
2: said he's a state majority whip at 9.15 this morning. What's he going to be at 9.60? All right. So, um, (laughs) uh, look, uh, my computer
1: is uh, skipping forward. You're off to a rough start. So (laughs) I skip a few adjectives and key nouns in order to expedite things. But we got John Gordner, state senator, who's been very gracious over the past few years to call us on a regular basis and keep us up to date with things that are happening. And in this case, we'll talk about some things that have happened. So, state uh, senator John Gordner, thank you so much for for calling in. Good morning, Senator.
3: Uh, good morning, Joe. Good morning, Mark.
1: I do appreciate that. Uh, I'll give you a double question first. Let's give us a quickie your overview of the state budget that was passed and then answer my co- first question is uh, how will this avoid what we went through in the past where federal money assisted the state but then it left a, a gap for later. But first, your overview of uh, the new budget.
3: Uh, we passed the budget on Friday of last week uh, and all, all the fiscal codes that go along with it, or I'm sorry, all the codes that go along with it fiscal code, administrative code, tax code, education code. And uh, what you just mentioned was paramount. Uh, I sat in on a number of discussions with House and Senate uh, Republican leadership, and uh, there was no doubt um, that we were all very concerned about what happened back in the uh, 2011-2012 budget. So what we did uh, this year that I haven't seen before is we basically looked at this year's budget. uh, When I say this year, the budget starting on July 1st. We looked at next year's budget, and then we also looked at the uh, 23-24 budget uh, in order to make sure that there was enough revenues through all of them, and 23-24 would be the the budget uh, for any new governor whether it's democratic or republican so uh, what what uh, this budget does is uh, first of all we always have to balance them at the uh, state level we don't can't have trillion dollar deficits like they do at the federal level Uh, we are going to end up putting probably over two billion dollars in the rainy day fund i think right now there's a couple hundred million in there Uh, we're going to be adding two billion plus dollars into that rainy day fund and out of the uh, 7.3 billion that we received from the American Rescue plan, I think uh, we have allocated about 2 million of it, and five million of it uh, will be put in a restricted lockbox account uh, for uh, future spending in the next couple of years.
1: What? <laughs> you're not overspending now while you have the abundant funds. No one's going to understand what's going on. Just uh, I guess w- w- but put that in the form of a question. Really uh, explain that this is paramount that this long you know this issue will never happen again under your watch. And then I think you can add in there how closely involved you were because as we watched uh, all the different budget reports that that trickled out and and not too many were ultra public but you you were in Involved and throughout there this budget has John Gordner in it so kind of look over that if you would
3: well I've been pleased Uh, as far as our leadership team uh, it was myself uh, the Senate pro tem Jay Corman the majority leader Kim Ward uh, the appropriations chair Pat Brown and myself uh, that participated in the various meetings whether they were with uh, the House uh, Republican leadership or whether they were with the governor's office and uh i mean again uh when you were through what happened back in 2008 2009 2010 and then in 2011 uh you don't want to relive it and uh you know i joined with pat uh pat brown is a very complicated individual very smart brilliant guy he's a cpa he's a a, attorney and uh, he is the foremost person with the numbers, and and I had his back the whole time, making sure uh, that we did a three-year budget and that we planned it all out so that there's going to be sufficient funds. Uh, frankly, uh, not surprisingly, the Democrats, uh, I think, have come up with 10 billion ways to uh, spend the 7.3 <laughs> that we got sent to us. But uh, when the federal government sent it to us, they said that uh, you have till the 23, 24 uh, year in order to spend it. And uh, we're we're being very responsible and prudent. I mean, we're making, uh, as, as Governor Wolf has said, we're making the second largest investment in uh, in public education uh, that's been made. Uh, we're, we're sending money to uh, nursing homes, basically for the workers there. Uh, and there's other monies that we're being responsible with. But we're also we're banking uh, $2 dollars $2 in the rainy day fund and five billion of the American Rescue. Right.
2: Has the governor been a, an active participant in this uh, thriftiness, or has he been, um, with the other Democrats, trying to find ways to spend it all?
3: Uh, no, the, the the governor, you know, the governor's big ask, and it was a big ask. He wanted over a billion. Actually, it was one point two. He wanted one point two billion in new spending for uh, education, and he wanted to run it into uh, through a special formula. Uh, that, frankly, uh, it would have benefited uh, Philadelphia uh, by the largest amount ever uh, in, in, in the state. And uh, we ended up uh, agreeing to uh, $300 million, uh, which is still the second uh, largest amount of investment in, in K-12 education. Frankly, we're going to miss, uh, he has had over the last couple of years, a brilliant uh, chief of staff, uh, Matt Brunel, um, and uh, we are really, really going to miss him because he is leaving. I think this week, and uh, he has just been exceptional in regard to someone to deal with and to get uh, things like this budget deal done.
2: Was the governor's uh, the money that you finally did agree to on education? Uh, what's in it that you like, and what is in that? No, not in it that the governor wanted.
3: Well, the governor again wanted 1.2 billion, uh, and he wanted to use the American Rescue Plan monies, uh, for that. Frankly, uh, school districts got money directly. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, just in, just in my senatorial district, uh, I believe over a hundred million dollars is going to my school districts directly from the American Rescue Plan and, uh, really a lifesaver in a lot of different ways, uh, for, uh, longer-term projects for those school districts. But $1.2 billion was just not doable. Um, but uh, money, uh, I can pick out two school districts uh, in particular in my area that uh, benefited very well from this, uh, one being Shikalemi, uh which is uh, getting uh, around a 5% increase, I think, uh, the number here in front of me, $630,000 of, of new funding. in Shimokin uh, is the other, and, and Representative Mosser and I have been working very hard uh, with the Shimokin School District, and it's amazing. We had two meetings uh, with them on a, a weekday in the morning, and uh, almost every one of their school board participated in those meetings uh, to try to deal with their situation over there, and, and they're making out very well under this budget.
2: Let's switch gears for a moment, um, Radar. Okay. Well, no, I already know no Senator voted for Radar. <laughs> Thank you, John. Appreciate that. I have, to speak, I have to speak to Gene, however, the next time I see him. Um, but, you know, the governor uh, in many states now have ended this excess, uh, what do you call it, unemployment compensation benefit. And they're finding that people are going back to work. What are you finding in Pennsylvania? You know, is the job shortage all across the state critical? Has there been any thought to cur- curtailing these additional payments in Pennsylvania?
3: Yeah, I mean, and there's two parts to it. First of all, in my 28-year political history, I have never seen the amount of employers of every size uh, looking for employees. Uh, I mean, you can't go anywhere uh, without, uh, you know, employee-wanted signs. And uh, the starting wages in a lot of different places are very substantial for our area where the cost of living is low plus sign up bonuses. Uh, again, that's something I just never have seen. Uh, you know, whether it's fast food or manufacturing places, uh, the sign up bonuses that they're putting out there, banks, etc. So the, the two parts that are the, the problem is the governor suspending the work, work search requirement and uh, then these uh, the $300 extra at the federal level. Um, uh, I think we're at 26 states. Uh, all Republican governors that uh, are phasing out the three hundred dollars um, but uh, the overwhelming majority of states have reinstated the work search requirement and Governor Wolf is not doing it till I think around July 10th or so uh, I participated in a two day statewide chamber event uh, last week let' um, say a week ago on a, a little over a week ago and I was on the panel on Thursday, actually, to kick it off, and the governor was on Friday morning, and uh, state chamber um, CEO, Gene Barr, pressed the governor on reinstating the work search requirement, and uh, in the governor's words, he said, I'm not there yet. Um, (laughs) And yet, uh, our unemployment rate continues to be one of the worst uh, in the country, uh, so the math just doesn't add up.
1: Uh, let me switch back to the budget, and probably just very briefly, the corporate net income tax isn't coming down. The governor has been talking about that, and and you talk about it uh, when asked about it. But th- this year wasn't the opportunity to try to do that.
3: Uh, there were a couple of things, frankly, that the governor's office put on the table. If we would agree to that 1.2 billion dollar increase for education, and we just couldn't, we couldn't mathematically do it, and in budget. Uh, planning over a three-year period, uh, consciously do it. Um, but one thing that we did get, which was a huge win, um, not only for the business community but for, frankly, the nonprofit uh, community, was the governor agreeing, agreeing to repeal the uh, overtime regulation that he's had out there for the past couple of years. Um, he had proposed doubling what the uh, salary. Uh, level is for uh, having to pay overtime. And uh, I heard more, frankly, from my nonprofit organizations uh, that were going to be adversely affected uh, than businesses. And as part of this uh, budget uh, compromise, we're now able to uh, stay at what the federal level is and not have double that uh, at the state level. And that was really a big win for the uh, business community, but also the nonprofit community.
2: Let's talk about the upcoming political scene. Reapportionment is uh, going to be on the front burner before too long. Uh, We've heard about gerrymandering and this federal bill that was going to eliminate gerrymandering. Uh, Last time, the state Supreme Court redrew the district maps. What's going to happen this time around, Senator?
3: Well, there's two parts to it. Uh, One is we have to draw the congressional maps for our congressmen, and we are going to be losing a congressperson, I should say, um, so that's going to be a challenging in drawing that map. But that map is actually done in the form of a bill in, in that the uh, the House and Senate approve it and the governor needs to sign it. Uh, so that will definitely be uh, something that will have to be worked out among uh, the House and the Senate and the governor's office and how to draw that. We've sort of been uh, looking to see if any congressman was going to run for a higher position, and, and that would allow us to uh, maybe... Uh, eliminate that person's seat, but that hasn't happened um, officially yet. And then there's the uh, the State House and the State Senate uh, seats. That's done through the reapportionment commission. Uh, each of the leaders are on that, and then um, the chair is a former uh, Pitt chancellor that was appointed by the state Supreme Court, and they've been having several meetings and uh, the, uh, the process of drawing maps. I've been down to uh, look at what a map could look like and, and my, you know, my big point is uh, we need to keep uh, all of Snyder, Northumberland, Columbia, Montour uh, in, in the uh, 27th senatorial district. So we'll see how that goes.
2: Well, the, also, sorry, Mike, but just okay. the, over the years, we've had a, a major effort to keep Snyder, Union, Northumberland, Montour, and Columbia counties or some part of them all together in the same congressional district. What is, what's the outlook for that?
3: Uh, I have not seen any congressional maps, and again, frankly, I'm sure, and and let's just start uh, with with the big thing. Uh, Normally, by March, uh, the federal government has provided each state with the final census block numbers. Uh, That did not happen this year, and it looks like it's going to be September uh, when we get the final census block numbers instead of March, Um, I think there's something in the federal law that says that it's supposed to get to us by April 1st, and uh, the Biden administration was not able to meet that deadline. So uh, we can't really work hard, hard on doing these maps until we get the official census block numbers uh, from the federal government
1: you'll get them in the months ahead don't worry and then then the work will begin what about banning vaccine requirements the uh, vaccination passports what's your view on this idea of uh, restricting public entities that uh, might require vaccination
3: Uh, we passed that legislation in the house and senate Uh, it's one of the many bills that are on the governor's desk Uh, we put I don't know, 30, 40 bills in the governor's desk. So I know he's he's got 10 days from when it arrives to officially decide on it. That's one that we passed. Um, and to his credit, uh, Governor Wolf has not indicated that he wants uh, to do a statewide vaccine passport. So it was more of a uh, preventative type of thing. But he has said that he is going to veto that legislation that we put on there.
1: All right. Uh, the, uh, one of our listeners sends a note, says, What, if anything, can Republicans in Pennsylvania do to stop enforcement of unconstitutional federal gun control edicts? This particular listener probably concerned about what the Biden administration is interested in doing. What can the state do to stop that enforcement?
3: Uh, there is legislation in the Senate and the House that have been uh, proposed on that, and It basically uh, says something along the lines that uh, state officials would not uh, be required to enforce any new federal regulations that do not comply with the Second Amendment. Um, And uh, those were not taken up yet, uh, but there is legislation pending on that. Um, I do support the Senate version of it. Although, frankly, uh, you know, if... And and that largely is because at one point uh, President Biden said that he may be doing some things by executive order and bypassing Congress, and that always raises a concern. But I end up having faith in uh, the U.S. Supreme Court blocking anything uh, that he would do by executive order that would violate the Second Amendment.
2: Senator, um, there's been a lot of news recently about Peacers and the fact that it's um, in upheaval. I guess there's calls to get rid of the chairman and the chief financial officer. The pension issue in Pennsylvania has been on the front burner for a while, then it's kind of moved to the back. Are you concerned about this coming back again, and and has there ever been what you consider to be a good, solid solution to the problem?
3: Yeah, we did uh, Senate Bill 1, and I'm trying to think. It's maybe been three or four years ago. And as a result of Senate Bill 1 and changing the retirement system for new hires, and also what, what cre- created this sort of crisis at PISA's was that uh, as a part of what Senate Bill 1 contained was that if the returns did not meet a certain uh, amount, and I forget if it was 75 or 6.5% return, then the uh, employees would be on the hook for the additional amount of money not taxpayers in the past it was always taxpayers having to pay for uh, the difference and uh, senate bill one which uh, nationally was recognized as the biggest uh, pension bill uh, that was passed by any state government since michigan did it one back in the late 1980s Um, so uh, yeah we did a significant bill and uh, it triggered this recent crisis with PISERs. But I have, uh, I have very uh, big concerns when you have the federal government uh, investigating uh, an entity like PISERs that uh, there's issues there that need to be corrected.
1: Anything additionally you'd like to comment or add to a, a remark about that we did not ask you?
3: Uh, just uh, one other thing that uh, we addressed uh, both on wednesday of last week and friday on this week is has to do with elections and has to do with uh, voter id and uh, signature verification uh, we passed a, a proposed constitutional amendment that takes two consecutive sessions this is just the, the first session and then we also did one uh, in a, a wide range bill um, house bill 1300 and I would note the recent polling that was done by uh, FNM and, and that the uh, particular entity is not a Republican or a conservative entity. They indicated that uh, over 70% of voters uh, would support some form of uh, voter ID being required as well as some form of signature verification. So the bill that uh, we sent, House Bill 1300, contains a lot of reforms that the counties were asking for. Uh, and uh, things that uh, prove popular in polling. But uh, once again, uh, Governor Wolf has indicated that he's going to, to veto that. Most of the state is not listening to my protests about this, so
1: I'm hoping they catch on eventually. So, uh, John, thank you so much for calling in and being a regular uh, 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 keeper, us up to date on this kind of thing. We really very much appreciate your checking in each time.
2: Yes, thank you, Senator. Agreed. Uh,
3: Yep, great talking to you guys. Take
1: care. And as a State Senator John Gordner, 27th District. He is the uh, State Senate Majority Whip, which means he goes around and sees how everybody wants to vote on these things. And maybe if you have a recalcitrant uh, senator who's not on board, uh, he has the uh, convincing job to do in Harrisburg, so we appreciate him uh, checking in. Uh, we're going to hear from U.S. Senator Pat Toomey during the 9 a.m. hour. So we got all the IPs on the show today, including Joe McGranny and my co-host and Rob Center our producer. We'll take a quickie break. We got the lines open 1-800-795-9565. You can email us at on the Welcome back to the Live Telephone Talk Show on the mark. Oh, We'll have open phones during the 9 a.m. hour. We got, uh, we're going to start out with about uh, probably 25 minutes of programming, though. We'll start out with the news headlines and then U.S. Senator Pat Toomey checking in during the 9 a.m. hour. So we'll be doing that. We do have a caller on the line standing by. Stan, thank you so much for the question via text. And uh, you're on the mark.
5: Hey, good morning. Uh, so, Toomey's calling in. Yep. Well, can you uh, ask him how he's going to vote when it comes up to bring uh, Chipman's Dave Chipman's uh, nomination for the ATF director to the floor of the Senate?
1: Okay. They,
5: they need to, they need to maintain the filibuster and make sure he never sees the light of day on the, on the floor.
1: Okay. Malmination. Uh, why? Uh, what's uh, wrong with him? Yeah. Well, oh, he's got why? a history. He hates guns, and he's got to be in charge of ATF. Go ahead, well, Stan. Well, there's other I'll things in ATF, answer.
2: other than firearms. There's alcohol and tobacco. Well, it doesn't matter. You can't. You can't be anti, what product if you're going to regulate something, Stan? Well, but he's you... not a legislator. He doesn't have a vote. I mean, what's he going to do?
1: Let's include Stan in our conversation. Uh, okay. well, I'm just curious. Go ahead, Stan
5: the same same thing that all these people, all these agencies do. They write regulations. And this one, ATF is particularly bad. They write reg- regulations saying something's good, then five or ten years later, depending on who's in office, they say, oh, that's no good. It's against the rules now. So people have purchased whatever they've purchased over the years, spent their money, and then all of a sudden they want to outlaw it. That's the problem with these, you know, these people. And this guy, he has been a consultant for the uh, handgun control and the brady you know the brady organization and all that over the years and he's still actually on the payroll in some of those so he is like now I told you the other day but I'll I'll go with a nice term the fox garden the hen house okay mm-hmm. and, and he can't you can't be left stand he he is anti-gun he is anti-american plain and simple
1: well, I don't know he's about been the trying. He's been
5: trying to outlaw. Well, he was heavily involved with the Waco raid. So, how many people died there because of what the, the ATF did?
1: It may make you an incompetent and uh, totally wrong government leader. I'm just saying, if he's anti-American, I haven't seen that. He certainly has strong feelings against uh, guns, and uh, particularly uh, AR-type guns. And uh, if if he botched his role in Waco, he should have been fired. But regardless, I I haven't seen anything personally that makes him anti-American.
5: Hey, he's against, he, he, he's against the American people owning firearms, plain and simple. That's pretty anti American to me.
1: <laughs> to you, right. Okay. Saying. Yeah, yeah.
5: Well, to, <laughs> and to millions of other firearms owners.
1: Okay. Gotcha. All right. So this guy That's should never day. see the light of day. Yeah, thank right? you. Appreciate the call. We will have open phones after the news headlines and after U.S. Senator Pat Toomey. You're listening to News Radio 1070, WDK, OK, Sunbury, 9 a.m.
0: Mark Lawrence and Joe McGranahan.
1: Greetings. Welcome on board. WKOK's live telephone talk show on the mark. I'm Mark Lawrence. Mr. Joe is directly across from me. Yes, I'm, I'm here. On the mark is sponsored by the Sunbury Motor Company. Do check them out at sunburymotors.com. Do as I've done. Check them out online and see what the inventory is. they got lots of vehicles down there. One of my Ford Rangers is down there too. I'm waiting for some of the newer F-150s to come in and my first uh, 2021 Uh, Ford F-150 Lightning, the all-electric F-150 is on the way, too. So we'll be checking that out. But, boy, they got lots of uh, vehicles to choose from down there. They are a volume dealer, and they would just love to do business with you at the Sunbury Motor Company. Start out your journey at sunburymotors.com. We will be taking calls after we interview U.S. uh, Senator Pat Toomey. So that will be coming up uh, very shortly here on WKOK. Our toll-free line uh, will be open at that time. Call us, 1-800-795-9565. Senator Toomey is going to be doing that very same thing in just a few short minutes from now. Uh, in the meantime, you are welcome to email us at onthemarketwkok.com, which uh, one of our good listeners has done. So we'll put that uh, question to the senator. And uh, we would invite you to text us at 70236. you got to include uh, the keyword OTM in that message so that we get that here. At So we would very much uh, uh, like to uh, get a chance to ask him your questions. So we have both text and email questions ready to go. Pennsylvania gas prices have risen about 10 cents a gallon in the past week, averaging 319 a gallon in Pennsylvania, according to GasBuddy.com. They say gas prices in Pennsylvania are 3.3 cents per gallon higher than a month ago and 75.5 cents per gallon higher than a year ago, according to GasBuddy. Quote, with oils continue push higher, fueled by continued strong demand globally and protu- production only slowly rising. Gasoline prices have had no choice but to follow the national average last week, setting a new 2021 high, uh, said uh, GasBuddy.com. Weekend recap comes to us uh, from Sarah Lauver, who was at the Anch- Banker desk on Sunday
6: as of this morning. Pennsylvania has lifted its statewide mask mandate, but is still urging residents to follow mask wearing guidance where required. Acting Secretary of Health. Allison Beam said Friday that the statewide mandate expired at 1201 AM this morning. She says despite this action, businesses, organizations, healthcare providers and other entities can still maintain the option of requiring employees, guests or customers to wear a mask, regardless of vaccination status. And PennLive reports that name, image, and likeness rights for Pennsylvania college athletes are on the horizon. A copy of new language found in legislation tied to the state's budget negotiations laid the foundation for student athletes to profit off their name, likeness, and image for the first time. The hot-button issue across the college athletics world is being mostly handled on a state-by-state basis because the NCAA does not have a formal policy and the federal government declined to intervene with national law. And by comparison, the 2021-22 spending deal passed on Friday amounts to $38.6 billion in the general fund, along with $1.2 billion in federal support that mostly pays Medicaid costs and about $1 billion on coronavirus relief. That totals $40.8 billion, or an increase of roughly 2.6 percent. Some Democrats wanted greater spending to help small businesses improve public health and fix toxic schools. The budget deal did not include a raise in the state's minimum wage. I'm Sarah Lover, News Radio 1070 WKOK.
1: And uh, both uh, state house members uh, David Rowe and Linda Schlegel Culver voted for that budget. Rowe says despite Governor Wolf bulldozing uh, our economy, we successfully crafted a budget that includes no increased taxes or fees. He goes on to say, "We do not want to repeat history of the mismanagement of emergency funds and now we're depositing 2.5 billion into the rainy day fund." Where Representative Culver says the budget continues our trend of investing in our children by allocating a record $13.5 billion for pre-K through 12 education. There is a group of Bucknell University professors who are trying to single-handedly glue the republic back together.
7: I don't think we can look to Washington to solve this problem. It has to be solved beginning at the local level to do what we can. If the country is going to get back to where we all want it to be, it's going to have to
1: happen from the bottom up. And that is a professor emeritus at Bucknell, Bill Groover. Of course he's been on this show, former mayor of Eagles Mir, and also an individual who has been active trying to make sure that the Open Discourse Coalition is thriving. They'll have some courses this fall and they also have a physical plant now in downtown Lewisburg, renting a former bank building there. Finally in the news, a South Jersey Valedictorian had his microphone cut cut out and his notes crumpled on stage by his principal during his high school graduation speech when he began to touch on his experience as a member of the LGBTQ community. Bryce Dersham, who graduated from Eastern Regional High School in Voorhees June 17th, had begun to discuss his self-discovery when he mentioned coming out to his family and classmates in the ninth grade, quote, after I came out as queer freshman year, I felt so alone, I didn't know who to turn to for support, unquote, Dersham said just before his microphone was cut out. He'll be attending Tufts University in the fall, told the Philadelphia Inquirer uh, that uh, Toll took his speech and crumpled it into a ball in front of me, uh, a moment visible in the video. Then Dersham pointed to a pre-approved speech that, had been written essentially for me and said, you read this or else. Uh, At this point, Dersham said that uh, eventually the microphone came back on and he finished his speech, his seven-minute speech that he had memorized and delivered to the students. So he uh, gave them a pre-approved speech, but instead relied on his memorized uh, speech. All right, we'll take a quickie break, and when we come back, uh, it'll be time for U.S. Senator Pat Toomey on WKOK. Okay.
4: I can't I so
1: where do we go from here? The senator's not on the line. <laughs>
8: yeah,
1: he's running a little bit behind today. We can uh, pre-read the remarks that have been sent to us. One of them via email says, "Please ask the sen- please ask the senator why he's voted against so many Biden nominations for cabinet and other administrative positions, including judges." Another one sure, says they're un-American according to our well. <laughs> okay, right. They're part of the Biden administration. Uh, o T M, please, uh, Mark, please ask the senator what he's doing to rein in the Biden administration lawlessness at the U.S. border. I heard over the weekend that one of the reasons that the numbers are so high is because many people are who come over the U.S.-Mexico border illegally are captured and sent back and then recross. So... Uh, sometimes they're so double it's counted. So just
2: going back and forth and back and <laughs> right. forth? Right.
1: X number are double counted. <laughs> and, uh, of course, we're being asked to ask the senator about uh, Mr. Chipman. What's his first name? No, Dan? I, uh, no. Dave? No. no. Dave. Dave. Chipman's right. nomination for ATF. So we will do that when the time uh, comes. And, and well, maybe he heard that we're going that to ask guy. him about that, and he didn't. He's call like, him. oh no, ain't <laughs> I'm not gonna going to answer that. Not going to go there. <laughs> All right. We also watched over the weekend and listened to CBS and kept our social media up to date about the fact that uh, the uh, building collapsed in uh, Florida, and just uh, tragic in every conceivable way. And um, I oh, guess in some ways preventable, right? We build the buildings, so we have to keep them uh, upright.
2: And that is terrible. And, and the number of unemployment benefit recipients is falling at a faster rate in Missouri and 21 other states that have canceled enhanced and extended payments this month, suggesting the ending the aid could push more people to take jobs, which mm-hmm. is exactly what the Republicans have been calling for all the way around. That's why I asked Senator Gordon the question. I mean, it, it really when you're paying people not to work, why would they work I mean what's the incentive I just don't uh, I don't see one
1: All right. the um, fact is in many states this is going away but in places where it has already ended then the jobless rate goes up. That's what they're saying. Or it goes, it goes down. That goes, goes down, down, right. Goes down all right. We have U.S. Senator Pat Toomey on the line. He is a Republican senator and uh, is not running for re-election, so I guess we'll comment into We'll ask about that. We have some listener questions, but we have our own. Good morning, Senator. Thanks Good morning, for calling senator. in.
8: Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: really do appreciate for it. calling in. <laughs> Let's start out with Senate Bill 1. Of course, uh, that never made it out of committee. So tell us, what elements in that bill were okay that there could be extracted and bipartisan support found in terms of overhauling or changing elections from Washington out to states?
8: Well, uh that's exactly the problem um so i don't think there is any need to have the federal government take over elections i think there are a lot of very bad consequences that would likely follow if we went down that road so this is one of those um in it that i put in the category of just a bad idea that doesn't deserve some kind of um you know split the difference and just take half of the bad things instead of all the bad things um there's a reason that we have state system since the, the dawn of uh, that's, uh, that's where we ought to do it and, and let's be clear, this election this election overhaul law is something our Democratic colleagues have been trying to do for 20 years they come up with a different rationale every few years but it's designed to give them a systematic advantage in elections uh, it's got things like uh, forbidding states from having a voter ID. Uh, It would turn the Federal Election Commission for the first time into a partisan agency that can weaponize um, the regulation of campaigns. It requires taxpayer money to massively subsidize campaigns. They they have a provision in there that would require a six-to-one match, six taxpayer dollars for every dollar in campaign contributions below a certain threshold. And in a state like Pennsylvania, it could be as much as $30 Thirty million dollars that taxpayers would have to shell out to candidates who would be, you know, advocate running ads and advocating policies that um, you know, a lot of voters don't support. Um, I could go on. It's it's terrible uh, legislation. It's not actually designed to pass. Our Democratic colleagues know that um, there are no. There's no Republican support. In fact, even Senator Manchin has expressed his opposition to it. Um, and some of them have admitted that it's really about making the case to end the filibuster. Uh, so, so I have to say, it's very bad policy. It's being cynically used, and um, we should vigorously oppose it.
2: Is the filibuster seriously in jeopardy, or is it? Uh, or do you think that the, the two senators on the Democratic side um, will hold fast and refuse to vote against it?
7: You
8: know, I, I hope they will. Um, but, um, you know, we, we don't know. And what, what uh, Senator Schumer is trying to do is to build a case to wear them down. So, you know, when Republicans block an election takeover bill like this, and he'll have other purely political bills that uh, we will block. And he's going to say, he's going to turn to them at some point, that, okay, we tried it your way. We can't pass the president's agenda. So you need to at least weaken the filibuster or make exceptions. You know, there'll be some, some cover that they will try to give. I'm hoping that the Democrats who are holding out are sufficiently principled that they won't capitulate to that kind of pressure. But, uh, I think we just don't know yet.
2: Well, the other side of that coin is packing the Supreme Court. Recently, the court has come out with a lot of, uh, unanimous or nearly unanimous decisions. You think that takes some of the pressure off?
8: Well, it certainly should, right? I mean, the, the uh, there were all kinds of, uh, ridiculous and, and knowingly false horror stories about what the Supreme Court would and, and wouldn't do, um, and, and already they've been proven false, um. But uh, still, our Democratic colleagues would love to have a Supreme Court that is just a rubber stamp for a liberal agenda. And so if you got rid of the filibuster, you would very quickly see a move to expand the court dramatically. Uh, you're right. There is no justification for it, even, even on ideological uh, grounds. But um, that's one of the real dangers if the filibuster were to fall.
1: The compromise infrastructure bill is going to take the form of an actual bill before too long. Your view on this, and what's in it for Pennsylvania?
8: Well, uh, there could be a lot of uh, there could be a lot of good infrastructure development in this deal. I, I have stressed there's three criteria that are most important to me. Number one, it's got to actually be physical infrastructure, not the expansion of the welfare state that the Democrats pretend. Is infrastructure, but actual roads and bridges and tunnels and airports and waterways, those things are real infrastructure. We already spend a tremendous amount on it, but you could make a case that in some areas we could justify spending some more. So that, that's number one. The scope has to be limited to actual physical infrastructure. The second is we can't raise taxes to do this. We should not be undoing the 2017 tax reform in particular, that uh, help us to achieve the best economy in 50 years just before the pandemic hit. And then finally, we also shouldn't be just borrowing or printing this money because it's a lot of money. Um, What we ought to do is repurpose unspent money from previous COVID or recovery bills. There's well over a trillion dollars of money that's been authorized, it has been approved, in some cases it's been sent to states, but it hasn't been spent is so much money, in fact, that it can't be spent uh, in any short period of time. That money should be repurposed for this infrastructure bill. If we can meet those three criteria, and the first two seem to be largely met in this bipartisan negotiation, then, uh, then we could get to something that I could support. So uh, uh, we'll have to see. The president will have to agree to completely delink it from the big expansion of the welfare state that
2: he's With all this unspent money that's out there that you'd like to see repurposed, doesn't it give credence to those of us who believe that the government's answer, or at least the Democrats' answer, to almost everything is to throw money at a problem, whether it's needed or not? I mean, why not just allocate the money when a specific need is shown to exist?
8: Well, uh, no, you're 100% right. Uh, there's a massive, massive amount of wasteful spending that's occurred in the last year. I'll give you just One example. In 2020, early on during the pandemic and the lockdown, you know, we thought that state and local governments were probably going to just get crushed, and their revenue, their tax revenue, would fall to a fraction of what they would normally expect to take, and that would be hugely problematic. So we started sending a lot of money to the states. We ended up sending altogether over 500 billion dollars. And guess what? We discovered by the end of the year, turns out state and local governments across the country raised a record amount of revenue, all-time record high tax revenue, and yet they still got this $500 billion. Okay, you can say, well, we were sending them all of that money at a time when it wasn't yet clear that they were going to have a record amount of revenue, but you can't make that point about the completely partisan Democrat bill that was passed in March, where President Biden insisted despite the record revenue from last year, despite the $500 billion we sent them on top of that record revenue, he insisted on yet another $350 billion that they absolutely didn't need. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, really. Uh, they're just so determined to spend as much money as possible, as though it's monopoly money, but it's not. And, and, and so, um, yeah, I can't support going going into the borrowing well to spend still more money, we should repurpose some of that money that's already been
1: approved. One of our good listeners thinks that Dave Chipman is un-American and should not head the ATF. What's your view on this?
8: Yeah, I have very, very serious concerns about uh, the position he has taken. Uh, He, I think, has uh, expressed some real uh, hostility to the Second Amendment, and although the kinds of policies he's advocated would require legislation, and there are not the votes to do it. Uh, still, it'd be disturbing to have him at the head of ATF. So, I'm I'm doing my final homework on this, but I have serious reservations about him.
2: Let me ask you a philosophical question, Senator. You know, you're bowing off the political stage, or at least the senatorial stage. What's the future of the Republican Party? Is Donald Trump toxic, or is he a benefit to the party? And going forward, can we recapture, or can the Republicans recapture the House and then the Senate again?
8: Uh, I'm actually very optimistic that we've got a great shot at capturing both the House and the Senate. In, in some ways, the House looks a little easier than the Senate. Neither one's easy, but, but both are within reach and i think it's because uh, a combination of factors but first of all donald trump brought people to the republican party who hadn't been there before and that itself was helpful he's also driven people away from the republican party and we've seen that in uh, especially in, in pennsylvania suburbs and suburbs throughout the country but people are smart enough to make a distinction between a person whose character they may have serious problems with uh, but the party which has very successful policy outcomes. You know, again, the the traditional Republican orthodoxy of pro-growth, supply-side, lowering of taxes, and pushing back of excessive regulation, which Donald Trump was very much a part of, that gave us the strongest economy in fifty years. And I mean, record low unemployment, record low for African Americans, Hispanic Americans, like virtually every subset of the American. Population had record low unemployment, and, and wages were growing, and they were growing fastest for lower income people. We were in a really good place because of conventional Republican policies. And I think people get that. You know, last fall, President Trump narrowly lost Pennsylvania, but we won two out of three of the statewide row offices. We held all of our U.S. House seats. We picked up seats in the State House and held on to the Senate majority. So I think the evidence is Pennsylvanians are. It, we're a divided state. It's always going to be close and competitive, but Republicans certainly can't win if we feel good candidates.
1: Yeah, especially if President Trump's not involved. So I guess you uh, have to keep that in mind. One of our list, uh, two more listener questions. Then we're done. It says, please ask the senator why he's voted against many Biden nominations for cabinet and other administrative positions, including judges.
8: Well, well, I, well the, the question why I voted against any of them, um, I, there's a number that I voted for, and there's a number I voted against. The ones I voted against are usually because I think they have radical political views that are outside the mainstream of Pennsylvania and American uh, political thought. Uh, now, people who are more in the mainstream, even if I disagree with them frequently, uh, I've, I often have supported uh, Secretary Yellen, for instance, as Treasury Secretary. I recognize that she's going to support a Biden agenda that I'm going to usually disagree with, but I recognize her qualifications and and her integrity has never been in question. So I voted to confirm her.
2: What about the January sixth vote? Um, you voted. I, I. Well, the Senate voted not to go forward with it. But is there? should there be some investigation of what actually happened on January 6th i know there're currently a couple undergoing uh, on, ongoing but you know do we need a comprehensive look at what happened that day
8: so i think that it probably we would benefit from that kind of comprehensive bipartisan uh, examination of everything that led up to and the events of that day now i was absent that day for a family commitment uh, but i've said publicly uh, at the time and since then, that uh, I would I would have voted to allow the commission, and you know we could we could have another vote on that. And if we do, uh, as long as it is going to be a truly bipartisan commission, including commissioners and staff, then I would vote to uh, to go ahead with that. Um, there are many investigations that are already underway. Some have been completed, um, but they tend to um, investigate various aspects of. January 6th, for instance, there was a bipartisan Senate uh, committee that took a very deep dive into the, uh, the actions taken by Capitol Hill police. Now, that's very important and it can be instructive, but it's not the entire picture. There's also quite a number of people who are facing criminal charges. So those people are all being investigated, but again, they're being investigated for the narrow purpose of determining whether they should be convicted of having committed a crime and this is there are bigger questions than that so i do think uh i do think we'd be better off having a bipartisan commission
1: anything else you'd like to add on any topic or maybe something we did not bring up
8: Oh, I think we covered a lot of ground, and I just appreciate the chance to be with you guys this
1: morning. Well, thank you so we much. Come back and coming. visit us again. We'd love to have you back in the studio, so next time you're in this part of Pennsylvania, you got an open mic here anytime. Thank you, Senator Toomey. Thank you, Senator. Thanks for having me. Take care. do appreciate that. U.S. Senator Pat Toomey, Republican, not running for re-election. We don't quite know precisely what he's doing. Private industry probably going to be uh, where you'll find uh, Senator Toomey in the future. We are going to take a quick break. When we are finished with that, uh, I'll tell you about the Sunbury Motor Company, and uh, then we are going to open up the phones, 1-800-795-9565. If you want to talk about anything that uh, U.S. Senator uh, Pat Toomey talked about just now, or anything that State Senator uh, John Gordner talked about earlier, we'd love to hear from you, 1-800-795-9565. <laughs> We have to have that conversation on the air. <laughs> all right. Uh, one of our good uh, listeners sent us a note about the southern border and U.S. Senator Pat Toomey, so we will forward that to the senator, and he can, he and his staff can remark. Uh, but the right. question was, is there anything the senator can do about Joe Biden's uh, lawlessness at the U.S. Mexico? No, what he's going to do border. about border? Not,
2: not claiming Biden was lawless, but the administration was allowing lawless activity at the border. It's all the same. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right. Hey, anyway, I want to tell you about the. Sunbury Motor Company and the Bronco Sport that I got to drive in our parking lot here. A Fabulous uh, vehicle. I Must have been a short trip. <laughs> uh, it was. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I went down to the end of the driveway and, and turned, turned around, around and came back. Well, right. but then I went off-roading all the way around the back of the building and out by the, the uh, air towers and uh, knocked down some trees back there and then all right. came back in, uh, drove up the handicap ramp and down the steps. and uh, But this 2021 Bronco Sport Batlands was completely uninjured by all of that and ready for more. Two point liter en- two point, uh, 2.0 liter engine, 4-cylinder, turbocharged, tons of horsepower, 6 GOAT modes, like when I went up the steps I put it in mud and sand mode, and then when I went down the driveway I put it in sport mode. That's what uh, Joe likes, because it helps him go super-duper fast, and uh, just a, a great vehicle. You're starting to see more these around $37,000, the one I drove around, but you can find some that cost a little more with more accoutrements and some that cost a little less with maybe a little fewer. Uh, but this is just a great new SUV, and it is living up to the Bronco name in every way. The new 2021 Bronco Sports. I drove the Badlands version, but they have a dozen uh, different b- sort of versions of this a species of the Bronco, and you can uh, <coughs> enjoy those. They have one that's more like a quarter horse, one that's more like a thoroughbred and uh, one that's like a Lipizzaner or Stallion and it is just fabulous. That's what Joe wants because he <laughs> knows they go fast. So, uh, It's an opportunity for you to really enjoy now, picking out the vehicle you want. I drove a mannequin but you can drive yours if you order it up at the Sunbury Motor Company. <laughs> Start out that journey at sunburymotors.com now, Lots of people have done that. They're trying to get the vehicle that they want to fit perfectly as soon as the chips come in from China they're going to install them in these vehicles and get these uh, uh, vehicles going and uh, sunburymotors.com do as I've done shop at sunburymotors.com alright we do have open lines right now one eight hundred seven nine five nine five six five. 795 9565 so much is happening in Washington and Harrisburg we talk about that state budget did pass. One of our listeners pointed out that it has a lot of extra funding in it for helicopter simulation training. This Pennsylvania love of helicopters continues. I guess it's one of the line items where uh, you can get helicopter simulator training and they get a tax credit for that. Of course in the uh, of course, it's, uh, helicopter industry itself. With
2: where does one go to get helicopter simulator training and uh, unless you wanted to be a helicopter I think it's pilot
1: it, Bell Helicopters located in southeastern Pennsylvania why would in the you West do?
2: area? Why would there be a special funding for that? It
1: seems like a boondoggle. Well, it's obviously If pork. I want to
2: learn to fly a helicopter, I should be able to pay for it myself.
1: It's pork to support this thriving industry that's uh, generating lots of tax dollars in Pennsylvania. So. Ah, I think we ought to build solar panels. Let's bring back Solyndra. Lots of people <laughs> building solar panels all over. You have pushback against solar panels out in Union County and in Monterey County near the Washingtonville plant. Talon Energy is interested in generating some electricity from the sun. Talon. Talon yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, what is tail-in? End? Tail-in, end, tail-in. End. Tail-in is That's the right. end of a tail. Okay. The, the tail, tail end. Okay, right. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Listen,
2: we talked about these unemployment benefit programs falling and the $300 a month. You know, I think it's it's about time that the state of Pennsylvania, We are going
1: It will be expiring soon. He no,
2: he says he's not there yet, according to the senator, but I think he needs to get there now. Let's get people back to work. Have you seen all the hiring signs you on the strip? You mean in
1: Washington.
2: No, I'm talking about the governor... Ending the $300 here in Pennsylvania.
1: Okay. Yeah. What's coming back in July then? The job search requirement. Job search. Requirement. Okay. But the I mean, funding. Both of will those continue. ought to
2: be in place now. There ought to be a job search requirement. It's time. Right. I mean, it's not like they what was the, the number nine million jobs available in this country and people aren't filling them. And of course, the Biden administration is saying, oh, but well, they're concerned about child care and they're concerned about the pandemic. And they won't admit that they're really they're, they're making more money sitting at home than they would working. Well, that's think, not fair to those of us who do get up and go to work every day.
1: Let me ask you this question. This is a bona fide question. I honestly don't know the answer. Have we gone through some sort of a reckoning where people feel as though they don't have to stay on the treadmill quite as aggressively and, uh, you know, work 60 hours a week so that they can, you know, (laughs) buy a bigger house and get a pool and all these kind of things. Have we gone through some sort of a redirection where people are actually examining how much do I need? How much debt do I want? That's fine. But don't make me pay for it. Why
2: should my tax dollars pay for you deciding that you're, you've just had enough of this really hard work and you just want to take it a little bit easy? So is, <laughs> is all of the fault in Washington? No, I'm saying it's here in Pennsylvania. I mean, the, the federal government, when the money was needed, I think it was a good idea. The $300, obviously, during the height of the pandemic, it was needed. But now mm-hmm. there are jobs. There are 9 million documented jobs available in this country. And people everywhere you go around here, there are signs up, hiring, now hiring, need people. Uh, my wife was at a restaurant the other day where they had actually blocked off some of the tables because they don't have enough staff to cover them. No wage them. You know, So that's that's a problem, and it's it's the fact that people are being subsidized not to work. And human nature being what it is, why would I go out and work when somebody's willing to give me money not to?
1: I'm just trying to ask questions that I think will point out uh, what you might overlook. You know, I think that financial incentive is part of it, so that's there. But I, I, I think it's a little bit more complex than that, and I just think, you know, the the child care and or this the uh, pandemic issues are a factor. I think the money's a factor. The fact that you don't have to job search is a factor, but I also think people may have, a lot of people have examined whether they need to work. You know, the labor participation rate went way down, and it's not even close to where it was pre-pandemic, and that means people are just not interested in getting on board. All right, we got one call coming in but we'll take more comers. And uh, you can email us at on the mark at wdkok.com, and you can text us at 70236. We'd love to hear from you. And this is your opportunity to communicate with us. And, again, maybe some reaction to what you said or what we heard from uh, U.S. Senator Pat Toomey and State Senator John Gordner. So maybe you have uh, an observation or a question or uh, just uh, you'd like to give us your two cents about that. Joseph uh, from Milton uh, commenting on incentivizing laziness that's my translation of it
9: hey that's a very good translation thank you very much <laughs> yes I concur 100% hey when I started housekeeping I lived in a I had three acres of land I had a, a shack made out of railroad ties two railroad ties long one railroad tie wide and then, of course, I added on to that later and so forth, but here's the point. I worked at Boyardee's in the nighttime from 3 in the afternoon till whenever we got out, and then in the daytime I'd drive to State College and I did masonry work, contracting work, stonework, building houses and so forth. I'd come home, sleep for an hour and go to work, and then when I would come home in the evening, uh, well, I would go up in the mountain and cut wood to bring to Melton to sell for people you know that wanted wood, firewood. So I actually had three jobs and hey, what's wrong with that? I mean, if you want to get ahead, if you want to do something, you got to put your back into it and do it, you know? I mean people today, uh, we live in a society that just wants everything for nothing and when they go housekeeping, they want a new car, a big stereo, a big TV, uh, new furniture, and everything right away. So it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, <laughs> uh, when I went, like I say, when I went to House TV, it was a bare minimum. And uh, an outside toilet even, you know, until I got things, you know, until I saved up enough money and worked hard enough to, to get the facilities I needed, you know what I mean? And, and it, it paid off for me, because I'm well off today. I don't need any help from the government, and I, I have more than enough to live, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, but, I think that's certainly commendable. Not everybody's got your drive or your zeal, you know, but I, I if, if Mark says, if people choose not to work, well, that's fine, but don't send me the bill for that. If you choose exactly. to be hungry and, and not work, well, fine, that's your choice.
9: And I want to add this, my father, told me this if a man doesn't work he shouldn't eat now that's not my earthly father that's my heavenly father <laughs> <laughs> and that's found in the bible i gotta get that plug in there quick
1: <laughs> good for you fair but, enough you always <laughs> mean, <laughs> got it's away the fact, it's the fact right
9: and and i just read another thing today if if a crime isn't uh, punished quickly uh, evil men prosper and is it's the way with our just judicial system, you know they'll put them on death row for years and years when you have conclusive evidence, and I know sometimes there uh, there's innocent people but uh, uh it, it, it drains uh the money from society you know because of what it costs to keep a prisoner a year, I think fifty or thirty thousand or fifty thousand
1: yeah, but executions uh, are more expensive because of yeah, I that I
9: don't understand that either. A bullet is only, you know, it doesn't cost very much. A rope, a little (laughs) gas in the gas chamber, I don't know how come that costs so much to put a person
1: to death well that's the last days the cheapest but all the ones preceding with the court appeals and you know where they start out in the Commonwealth court system and the then the state Supreme Court and Superior Court and then up to the US Supreme Court right. so it's 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 the court uh, making sure you know just trying to make sure you don't um, well making sure that laws are legal in the first place and that they were applied accurately and then that uh, the yeah. person is I understand innocent that's the issue when
9: you have obvious cases that uh, you know you have it on camera someone murdering somebody or something like that and there's no doubt that the guy is guilty uh you know the death penalty should be uh enforced right. and a lot of people say oh there's a the christian way well <laughs> uh, it's the biblical way in new and old testament it says that you know
1: all right. Nice. We got you. All right. Thank you so much, Joseph. Really Take care, appreciate, Joseph. Your appreciate your call. Joseph. Yeah. Appreciate your call, as always. Take care. Michael, you're next, and you're going to be the last caller before a quickie break. Go ahead, Mike.
7: Okay. Uh, as far as the uh, stimulus package, it's my understanding that, you know, we want to rebuild infrastructure, but it's also to make jobs and create opportunities. And you all are just talking about how short we are of finding people to fill jobs. So, what it, what's going to happen when this infrastructure uh, situation opens up, and we're going to go you know, back to shovel dirt and build things and all that, and we're already short of workers? Is that going to is that going to cause the number of uh, jobs that aren't being filled to increase, and you know, put uh, uh, higher uh, pressure on wages at all levels, especially at the lower level? Do you think that might happen?
1: Well, I would think it would create a, a greater unemployment issue, but the upside would be that it will create even more demand for workers, and so that wages will go up. And no job that is paying an excellent salary is going empty.
7: You know that for a
2: fact? Not yet. You know that for a fact? I checked out
1: everything, yes. <laughs> You need life-sustaining wages in order to sustain life, and that's part of the factor. You know, that's a factor. I mean, that's just supply and demand. If, if you have a menial job and you pay, uh, you know, $10 an hour for it, you're not going to find workers in this economy especially if the government's pumping 300 more bucks into your pocket every Well, that's, every definitely, week. that's <laughs> definitely a factor. But if you were a young person and you're enjoying you know, a good summer and a decent life, and somebody said, look, I'll give you a dollar a day to, to work hard in the sun, you know, letting people on and off of rides or whatever it happens to be, uh, do you, would, you, would you rather have a tough summer or an easy one? You know, I think most young people would answer, well, I'll take the easy summer.
2: Well, when I, my first summer out of high school, I scraped rust off of pipes in a
1: trough of the city of Harrisburg. Well, <laughs> I hope you wear a mask. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Mike.
7: Okay, then the, the other thing, I, I, I'm just raising that concern. I think there's going to be problems in the labor market, and especially at the lower end, that, where people need part-time workers and what have you. Now, the other thing, uh, I'm concerned. I, I was confronted by a, uh, one of my woke friends, and he sent me a clip of this General Milley chastising a uh, congressman and anybody that uh had concerns about critical race theory and the the my concern here is uh when you get into the military you do your job is to follow the uh the set up of you the the commanding officers say hey, this is what we're going to learn this is what we're going to teach these are our values and this is what you live by and if uh wokeness and critical race theory and all that stuff is what they're living by I don't know that two things. I don't know that they're uh, being designed to kill people and and destroy things and win wars. And then I think we really have to look at where our fighting men and women are coming from and what their background is. It's my experience, and you two might want to correct me, but I think there's a significant number of people enlisting that are, one, conservative, two, they come from religious backgrounds, especially uh, private religious schools, and uh, a family heritage of military service. And and this woke culture is not playing big in any of those particular areas that I just mentioned. So I think that when we have our generals uh, touting that, you know, they don't really know much about critical race theory, they're going to have to study it. But gosh darn it, that's what we're going to teach, and you shouldn't be criticizing me. I think that's going to turn a lot of people off and uh, send a lot of recruits looking for these high-paying infrastructure jobs instead of gaining uh, experience in the military.
1: Or high-paying factory jobs. You know, there are menial jobs that are paying high, so they'll definitely have a place to go where a decent salary awaits. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, Yep, thanks for calling in. You're welcome. 1-800-795-9565. Got time for another caller. 1-800-795-9565. Welcome back Welcome to the KOK Live Telephone Talk Show. Joe, take them bottom to the right. top, bottom um, to top. One of our
2: texters says, between the $600 and regular unemployment, a lot of people were making more than when they were working. That's true. Yeah, it's only $300 now, but that could still be more
1: than you were getting
2: then. Then another emailer sa- or texter says, Joe, at the height of the pandemic last year, the extra unemployment money from the feds was $600 a week. Yes, I know that, but now it's $300 a week, and really it isn't needed at this point um, another one says it says Joe who knows no one who's unemployed well, I know I don't know anybody at the moment who's unemployed who I, wants I, who doesn't want to be that's what I just said okay And then this one I don't understand. Republicans wanted to fund the police. Go Biden 2024. 2024, Biden won't even be around, I don't think, in terms of mental capacity.
1: Republicans want to defund the police. I hadn't seen that. that Send us more elaboration (laughs) on that. You can actually send a link through the uh, text system, and then we can follow that.
2: And then our friend Tom says, I guess we all found out menial jobs aren't so menial after all. Laughing out loud, Tom. Not sure I get that
1: your point, Tom. <laughs> well, you? I use the phrase menial job, but if it gets twenty dollars an hour and it's a lifesaver for a family, well, I, then it's not menial. It's, it's quite critical. Right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what I mean by menial job. I just think of something where, um, th- like the summer that I was using a steam cleaner to peel uh, paint off the bottom of swimming pools was <laughs> off of concrete swimming pools. That was difficult. And menial labor, but of course very important to the pool owner who was hoping that the right. pool would get renovated, and uh, very important to my employer who wanted somebody to show up at 6 a.m. and well, start and work and stay literally as long when, as could. Uh,
2: when I graduated from high school, my mother was a committee woman for the Republican Party, and Harrisburg was run by the Republicans at that time. She managed to pull a political string and get me a job working for the city, and I wanted to be a playground instructor, which was outside work, sunshine, mm-hmm. but all that was available was working for the old water filtration plant in Harrisburg on City Island, no longer there, and I sat down in a sand-filled, damp trough area or, and scraped rust off pipes with a hammer and chisel. It was then I decided I mm. didn't want to do manual labor for a living. Scraping rust with a hammer and chisel, yeah, it was a there lot of like rust. Yeah, it was like troughs in there, for the, they're like troughs. Oh, yeah, it was blistered. It was obviously hadn't been done in years, and it was iron, mm-hmm. and it was rusting like crazy, but that was our busy work for the summer with a hammer and chisel scraping rust off pipes. It wasn't a very pleasant summer, I could tell you
1: that. <laughs> no, but I'll tell you what. It, it taught you something about working a job that involved, what, some boredom? Boredom and, and know, manual that, labor. It was
2: physically taxing. Right. That was the last time you worked hard and in a physical job. And damp. <laughs> it was cold and damp. It was certainly damp. It wasn't always cold, but it was damp. Was that the last time you worked
1: hard at a physical job? Yes. It's been it's <laughs> yes. been clackety-clacking on the computer after ever that, since.
2: After that, at the end of that summer, I started college, and I started uh, working at a radio station. So that was... <laughs> I'll never touch a hammer and chisel again, says Joe. Well, I've had a hammer and chisel in my hand again, but it was to split firewood. Okay. <laughs> and then after a quick visit to the ER, you got to enjoy the fire. Right. But seriously, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't trade the experience. I mean, it was something that was defining for me. It, it, it made me think about what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life.
1: Mm-hmm that hard work can make you stronger.
2: Well, that's true.
1: But it didn't pay me $300 a week, I can tell you that. No, but it it set the scene not only in physicality, but it it told you what a joy it was to work extremely hard and to be extremely tired and to know you. I'm sorry, I did not use the word joy. Okay. (laughs) It's more of an ethic than a joy. All right, thank you everybody who participated today, including our senators. This is WKOK Sunbury.